Hello and welcome to episode 250 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in LA. No, I am in Stateline, Nevada, my buddy's house in Lake Tahoe. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, you can see behind me an actual moose. Whoa. <laughs> well, it's not an actual moose. It's a painting of an actual moose. <laughs> That's literally a moose. <laughs> it's literally a figurative <laughs> moose. <laughs> What's on the show today? We are going to have a flex PSA about shipping tablets to test takers. We're going to have a Pearl versus Turds on racing the clock. That would, for most of you, already sound like a turd, I hope. Listener, we have a listener did a painting with a quote from the podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Wow. Thank you. Super fan. We're going to go over prep test 65, section four, questions maybe two and three. And then Mike has submitted his personal statement for the slaughter. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Good luck, Mike. Yes. This will air on Monday, June 15th. If you are signed up for the June LSAT Flex, you are probably taking the test today uh, or maybe even yesterday, sometime this week. The July LSAT Flex is going to start um, the week of July 12th. The registration deadline for the August LSAT is Wednesday, July 15th. Um, we'll see whether or not that becomes a flex test. My prediction right now is that it will be, especially with all that's going on. I bet there's going to be a surge in cases and LSAC will continue to host this thing online. The August LSAT is currently scheduled for August 29th, but if it becomes a flex test, it might be the following week. In any case, you can email the show at help at thinkinglset.com. Send us your selfies if you're so inclined. Leave us a re review on iTunes. They're always fun to read. And yeah, that's all. Thank you for all that applied for the operations manager. We have probably enough applications at this point, but um, we're looking forward to working with some of you, one of you. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. That's it. I just deleted that item off of our agenda so that we don't keep getting people to apply for the operations manager job. Yep. So it yeah. seems like we got it. I think we, we only announced it once, right? I know. So yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, everybody. Congratulations, Ben, on episode 250 of the show, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Congrats. We've, we've been fighting through it. We've fought. We've the, the, probably the most difficult part of the entire 250 shows is just like making all of the technical stupid shit work properly all the yeah. time. It's not that hard, but just making sure that your microphones work in and your headphones are working and the stupid garage band or audacity or whatever is recording. And now we're also recording the video so that we can post it to YouTube so that people can see our faces for some reason the fact that we're doing all that shit. It's like, if y'all want to start a podcast, I highly recommend it. Just all you got to do is just be willing to jump through some little annoyances. That's it. That's all there is to it. Just keep showing up. I Yeah. Just keep showing up. By the way, pop quiz for you. Yeah. What was the most re painful recording ever? <sighs> do you remember? The most painful like a, of all 250? A, yeah. There's a clear... An obvious answer. Well, but maybe is it's it, not obvious. <laughs> is it the one? I, or I thought we had maybe a couple. 
Oh, oh, maybe we did. Where I, we, I feel like there's a there's one that's on the top. Maybe where not. we did yeah, the ahead. whole show. We did the whole show, and then, and then it turned out that we had actually recorded nothing. Yes, and we did that twice in a row. <laughs> twice in a row. So it was the second one of those two that was the most painful. Yeah. Well, so we, yeah, cause we did that for, it was the same episode, right? We recorded, didn't, I messed up. I think I didn't record or you, I don't remember what happened. And yep. then we did it all over again yep. and it, we didn't record it. And we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, and then we did it a third time. That third time was weird though, because as we were recording, we had already like talked about all this stuff. So it's kind of, yeah. we knew what the other person was going to say. That was just, the whole thing was just painful. <laughs> I can't, I, w- I don't know what episode that was. I can't remember now. Still highly recommended that everybody do it. Um, <laughs> we would not have any kind of an audience. I don't even think the demon would be successful. We just, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really good idea. If you're good at anything and you want to, and you think you could have a podcast about it, you probably could. You should definitely do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's it's highly recommended. Also highly recommended for y'all is to just start your own business, period. And that's very similar, super similar, is that it's not about the quality of the idea. I don't even think it's about the quality of the product or anything. All it is is just do it. Don't spend too much money. Do it low tech, low investment. And just keep showing up and just, and just remember that there will be tons of little tiny baby annoyances. Yeah. And the difference between you and all your competitors is that they'll give up because they won't want to deal with the little stupid annoyances. And if you're willing to deal with those, you know, things like when I used to rent classroom space at San Francisco uh, city college, and they told they told me that they could no longer rent space to me because of the budget cuts. Mm. And it's just like that little ding to the to your psyche, you know, where it's like that doesn't even make any sense. And now I have to go find a new venue for my classes, mm-hmm. which is not what? easy. <laughs> and it just sucks. But it's like such a stupid little annoyance. Then you just get on the phone and you just call around and you just get another venue. Yep. Then you just keep doing that every day for ten years, and the next thing you know, you've got a you've got a successful business because you're the one that just kept showing up. It's funny. Just yesterday, I got a nice email from my competitor here in in DC, and um, I say my competitor because there's really been just us two for the last twelve years. Okay. You know? Like so many people have come in and they're like, oh, we teach LSAT and we're going to do this class. And it's like, oh, where are they? And they're like at some hotel or there's some place. Yeah. So many of them just never see them again. Like they, you know, they last for like a year, maybe two years. And then you like five years later, you're like, I wonder what happened to those folks. And you look them up, gone, just never made it. But this one other uh, company has stuck around. So. What were they reaching out for? They were saying uh, hi and um, just commenting on some reviews and stuff like that. It was it was nice. I actually said, "Hey, I'm sorry, I haven't done much to <laughs> like talk to you." Yeah, it's all funny. these years we're like competing. And, yeah. Um, well, especially but, because you guys aren't really, com- you know, you, the pie is much bigger than you and that competitor. Hundred percent. You know, yeah. the, like because the bulk of the business is still going to the very worst of the prep 
companies, which is Kaplan and Princeton and whatever big corporate businesses. And there's like, so, you know, you and whatever that independent is, I mean, you guys are more on the same team than you are competing with one another, really. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Interesting. What are they doing with COVID? Are they still trying to do live classes? I'll follow up and ask them. I'm curious. Yeah. Want to talk about these tablets and testing limits? Yeah, let's do it. So I got this from one of my students. He actually mailed in a picture of the box that he had gotten from LSAC. And in it was their Microsoft Go tablets that they use for their test uh, back in the day. Anyways, when I saw that picture, I emailed him back and I said, um, so they gave you a tablet to take the test. I think the same student is taking the test at a hotel. So they are accommodating people who need the technical equipment. And I was like, wait, how, how are they going to like require you to send it back? Obviously they want it back. And he said that they won't release his score until he ships it back. So that's, that's the rule. So <laughs> if PSA, you know you did you... really shitty and you decide you want to just give up on it forever, <laughs> you can just keep the, just keep the computer and be yeah. like, nah, I don't need my score. Thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'd really hate to be LSAC right now sitting on all these Microsoft Go's because they're just every day, they're just becoming more and more obsolete, right? Like how long do these these things last? Two years tops? And then you really just have an outdated piece of garbage? I mean, presumably they would still work for the for the narrow purpose that the LSAC needs That's them true. for. That's true. Absolutely. Um, certainly deteriorating in resale value, but uh, LSAC is a pretty gigantic business and, you know, all they need to do is administer one test on the thing and they've already paid for it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I do agree with you though. The, the fact that they did that, it's funny, COVID like just bit them immediately too, because they, they bought all these <laughs> tablets and then immediately were forced into offering the test online by COVID. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, another PSA kind of related to the flex. I didn't realize that the flex test didn't count towards your test limit. Did you know that? I don't well, know where I missed that. I'm with the class all the time on Demon Live, so oh they, yeah, I gotcha. They they definitely make it make things clear to me on the regular. So yeah, I I did hear that news a bit before you did, but uh, I guess it makes sense, right? Because nobody knows how the flex is going to go, and um, the limit's stupid anyway. The limit's stupid anyway. Yeah, good point. Okay. So anyways, just FYI. I, I, I can't imagine, I mean, more random speculation from uh, the Thinking LSAT podcast, but uh, mm. I, I would imagine that if they end up going like permanent yeah. flex, mm-hmm. that then that limit will start to apply again. Yeah, I bet it will. I'm not sure. I still haven't figured out the motivation behind it exactly. Well, they, it doesn't seem like they have figured it out either, <laughs> given the fact that they changed the policy like three times in 12 months, right? Change I mean, the policy and it's like not simple at all, right? Right. Like, they had a very simple policy, which was what? Just three times in mm-hmm. a cycle? Or three, yeah, what was it? Three times in five years. That was it. And then they changed it to 
three. Then they changed it to no limit at all. No limit. Take as many times as you want. And apparently that wasn't a good idea. They didn't like the results of that. I mean, gosh, people are just paying them more money. Law schools maybe complained that they were getting applicants with tons of scores, but come on, how hard is that to deal with? Just either like it or don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. Then they changed to the crazily overly complicated policy that they have now with three times in one year and five times in two years and seven times lifetime, but (laughs) can't take it again if you ever score 180, but oh, don't worry. Also, there is a, an appeals process. So it's like the limits don't really even apply anyway. Cause I was thinking about that. I could just imagine that if you had already taken it three times, but then you appeal and you're like, well, but COVID. Yeah. I, I just could imagine them being like, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You're fine. Give us 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> so by the way, I think you said five times in two years. I think it's five times in five years. I don't know. I think I probably say five times in two years because what I meant is. Practically speaking. Practically speaking, yeah. For any normal person, five times in the next cycle. Because most people don't end up testing over three cycles. But yeah, thank you for that correction. So yeah, yeah, okay. So If I'm right, yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. It's three times in one cycle and the cycle goes from June 1st to May 31st. That's the important thing people need to remember is three times in that cycle. And then you can take it a couple more times, uh, as long as that cycle has expired. Yeah. Okay. Pearls versus turds. <laughs> Pearls versus turds is the uh, segment of the show where we take a bit of, uh, a, a tip from the internet. Um, there's lots of tips that go flying around. This one came from Florida coastal school of law. They made a cool graphic that says LSAT study tips. And it's uh, this email provides the first of several test taking tips of this nature that will be forthcoming in future emails. At that point, you can always stop reading. You're like, if that's how you're going to (laughs) write. They could have stopped that sentence after tips. Just say it's this email provides the first of several tips. I don't think you need of this nature that will be forthcoming in future emails that we will send to you into your inbox on a regular basis until we are done giving you all of the tips that we, that we have are going up. to give to you. Um, anyway, the, uh, the thing about tips from the internet is that they're mostly terrible. And mm-hmm. so the scoreboard, we've been keeping track now for quite a while. Um, we've only found eight pearls. We have found 34 turds and we have found 16 ties where we, we just couldn't put it in the, the pearl category because we never would repeat it in a class, but it wasn't so bad that we put it in the turd turd pile. But the truth is that the, t- the ties are ties are turds. So mm-hmm. right now the scoreboard is eight pearls and 50 turds slash ties. So it ain't, it ain't good. So nope. the lesson there is to be very skeptical of uh, the tips you get on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because I, you know, in the, I'm talking to the kids all the time in the classes, and they're just like, "Hey, I I heard a thing on the," and, and I'm immediately just like, "This ain't gonna be good." <laughs> <Yeah>. like, whatever <laughs> it is, <laughs> whatever this is, 
your buddy told you X or, you know, well, the lawyer at my, fr- you know, the partner told me that I should, with, mm-hmm. and with regard to the LSAT or frankly, with regard to admissions. And I'm just like, what? I don't, I don't think so. It's like one random thing that worked for that one random person when they were applying at some random time. Yeah. Okay, so this is probably going to be bad. And this is the first tip. This is tip one from Florida Coastal School of Law. And we would assume that they would send their very best tip in the very first tip email, right? Mm -hmm. So here's what it says. Tip one. Each section of the LSAT puts the test taker in a race against the clock. Well, okay. Two spaces. If you are stumped by a question, the best thing to do is move on to the next question and return to the problem question later. Ben's shaking his head. This concept is simple, easily understood, and something you already may have heard. Hey, listen, just because it's simple, easily understood, and something you already may have heard doesn't mean it's not garbage. The world is flat. Simple. Jesus Easy Christ. to understand. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and everyone's heard it. Within the context of intense examination pressure, however, it is easy to lose sight of testing basics. It is important not only to understand it, but to forewarn yourself of the risk. If you allow yourself to get stuck in a mental quagmire, you will lose valuable time and compromise your ability to finish the section or will provide the wrong answer to a question you otherwise would have responded to correctly if unrushed. Whoa, wait, what? <laughs> unrushed, yeah. I'll give it to him. I, like, I, can, I don't mind it. Wishing yeah. you all the luck in this final week of studying. Office of Admissions, Florida Coastal School of Law. So when I read this tip, the first thing I thought of was this ad by for Masterclass with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh-huh. You know him. He's the guy who talks about space all the time. Yeah. Can we watch that clip right now? Or Yeah, we can. His voice is much better than mine. I mean, we probably don't have necessarily the rights to play this on the show, but we could watch it ourselves so that we know what we're talking about. Well, we're promoting them. First 15 seconds of this is what we should watch? Yes. Okay, yep. I'm watching it right now. Yep. One of the great challenges in this world is knowing enough about a subject to think you're right, but not enough about the subject to know you're wrong. (laughs) That's it. Okay. There's like a gazillion hours. Cool. Yeah. One of the greatest challenges in life is to know enough about a subject to think you're right, but not enough about it to know you're wrong. And yeah, that's exactly what the Office of Admissions at Florida Coastal School of Law is struggling with, because that is a turd, and it's one of the one of the one of the worst tips they possibly could have given, and they're just giving it right there, tip number one to mm-hmm. their audience. I mean, it tells you a little bit about who their audience is. Yeah, you know, that's a a very um, what should we say? What was the word? What did Ben say? Ben Barton. What did he say? What was his description of schools? Just other? Is that what he called them? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was other. When you you're saying over the twenty? Yeah, something like that. It was. Yeah, yeah. it was just like. <laughs> just there are elite law schools, and then there's basically everything else. And yeah, Florida Coastal is clearly in the everything else category of law school. 
And Mm -hmm. they have many, many students who come to their school who will never practice law. And this Mm -hmm. is the type of tip that if you follow that and you're going to get, you know, the best LSAT score you can get using that tip, you're, I'm betting against you. I'm sorry, but you're just, I don't think you're going to be successful with that. You're not going to be very successful on the LSAT, but you will be successful enough to get into a school like Florida Coastal. That's yeah. the problem is that then they're going to charge you a lot of money for a very uncertain legal career. Um, let's talk, though, about the tip itself. I mean, why is this so bad? Because it really is bad. There's lots of reasons why this is the exact opposite of what you should do. Okay, so uh, my first reaction uh, comes in the second sentence, right? It says, well, race against the clock just creates anxiety, but... Um, there is a time limit here, so I'll grant them that. But it says, if you are stumped by a question, the best thing to do is to move on to the next question. Well, problem number one is if you're stumped by a question, the best thing may be to slow down and reread the passage and make sure you understand it, or more importantly, reread the sentences as you recognize that you are struggling. But you know, there does come a point when you should move on. If it's just so bad that you don't understand, uh, then yeah, there are times. So I'll even give them that. But then they say, and return to the problem question later. Right. That, I just, I absolutely hate that because if you're the kind of test taker where you are moving on from any questions, if at all, then you don't, you're not finishing, which means you shouldn't be going back. And this idea that you can go back gives people an excuse to just keep moving on and keep skipping when they really should just be doubling down and trying to understand. So it's so crazy because they're saying if you allow yourself to get stuck in a mental quagmire, you will compromise your ability to finish the section. Well, most people shouldn't be finishing the section until you're mm-hmm. scoring 165 or really more like 170, you shouldn't be finishing the sections anyway. The Their tip should have been, I mean, I want to write a tip that's the exact opposite of this tip, and that would be my tip number one, would be the later questions in each section are harder. Don't rush through the easy ones at the beginning of the section so that you can crash up against the rocky shore of the much harder questions that are to be found later in the section. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, well, you know, if you don't hurry up, then you might provide the wrong answer to a question that you otherwise would have responded to correctly if unrushed. And that's exactly what I'm worried about on this question right here. Not the future ones. Not the future question. I'm worried about this question because that's exactly what you're doing. You're putting the time pressure on yourself you're, they're the ones who are, they're trying to tell you that it's a race against the clock, which it, it, it's not. You should take your time and get the easy ones right. But if you follow this tip, then you'll rush through the easy ones, skip it. You're not going to have time to come back to it later, by the way. Like you don't, it's just a Never. terrible strategy to finish the section and then go back and work on questions that you half asked in the first place. That is not a good strategy. That's a waste of time. Yeah. So now you're going to rush yourself on question number seven, miss it so that you can save up a little bit of time so that you can rush to number 17, which is vastly harder. And odds are you're going to miss that one anyway. Yep. 
come on, Florida Coastal School of Law. <laughs> this is not helping. This is your, <laughs> you are actively hurting your audience with this tip. Yeah. It's too bad. They don't know enough about the subject to know that they're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. They should, you know, they know that their audience is hungry for study tips and Florida Coastal School of Law is hungry for applications and an audience, right? They're trying to develop a relationship with their, yeah. with their readers. And so an audience that scored high, right? They're like, please, if you're listening to us, do everything you can to, to get a better score so <laughs> you a, can come here with a higher score. Yeah, I suppose they think that this is going to help people, but this is yeah. the exact opposite of helping people. This this is the worst tip. I mean, this and read the question stem first. That's the two, which, by the way, we're uh, subscribed to the list, so we're, we'll have their future tips uh, in mm. future Pearls versus Turds segments. But I'm waiting for them to have read the question stem first as another one of their garbage tips. <laughs> Don't waste time. <laughs> Don't waste time actually reading the argument. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. You want to take this next one? That's yeah. a turd, by the way. Uh, the scoreboard is now eight pearls, 35 turds, 16 ties. It's ugly out there. It is. Okay. This listener writes in, Hi, Ben and Nathan, exclamation point. I've been listening to the podcast for a few months as I am planning on taking the LSAT at some point in the future. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's true for most of you. Um, Like many people, COVID-19 has upended the majority of my plans. Uh, Upended, sorry. I find myself at home with an 18-month-old son just trying to stay afloat most days. Yeah, it's... It's rough out there. In episode 243 of the podcast, you guys talked about life during the global pandemic at apparently 33 minutes and 33 seconds. How convenient. Nathan mentioned the listener might be letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. This advice really spoke to everything with which I am currently struggling. Mm. I have been so focused on everything I'm not doing that I forget to stop and see all the things I'm accomplishing. The tiny human lives another day. Success. Okay. She's kept her 18-month-old son alive for another day. She needs to pat herself on the back for that. Oh, yes. Good. Uh, Yeah, congrats. I decided to take some time and paint the advice. This advice is a permanent reminder for my office. My bookcase is across from my desk at home, so this seemed like a great spot for it to go. Thank you for the endless entertainment and all the knowledge you provide with the podcast. Once I figure out what this new normal looks like for me, I'll be working the demon into my schedule. Hoping for some killer promo codes, Vicky. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, cool. She says we can use her picture um, on any platform. She has a picture here of a like kind of a C background that says, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Vicky, you have really good uh, handwriting. How the heck did you paint that? I don't even know how you would paint that, those white letters. I am not artistic at all. I imagine that there might have been some stencil involved on the um, that all, on the caps part. She probably hand drew the cursive part. Uh, thank you very much for that, Vicky. I, I have to um, I have to acknowledge that that is not any kind of uh, Nathan Fox original advice. I don't know where don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good came from, but that's uh, advice that's just kind of out there in the world. I'm glad that I was able to share it to share it with you at a time um, that it was helpful. 
And I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for that advice. Just kind of don't try to get everything all at once. Hey, Florida Coastal telling people that they need to finish the sections. No, they don't. What they do need to do is get the easy ones right. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Get the easy ones right at the beginning of the section. Don't worry about not finishing the section. That's letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, by the way, along these lines, I feel like um, a lot of times when people feel anxiety, it's because of what you're saying. They're letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. But the other thing here, and I I think it's all kind of related, is this mindset of are you working on what you need to do right now or are you focused on like what you still need to do, right? Whenever you're taking a test, if you feel anxious, it's probably because you're trying to think about what you have to do and not like next as opposed to what you need to do right now. Well, in what this you need, moment, in this second, right, you need what, to read and understand this sentence. That's this, it. Right. This one question right here, this one sentence right here. Mm-hmm. And that's totally, people are like, well, but if I don't get 170, then I won't get into Harvard and then I won't get the dream job of my whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I know, dude, but you're right now you're scoring like 150 and you're working on that logical reasoning question and it's kind of an easy one and you didn't predict the answer, which you should have done. So can we just talk about the argument and like figure out how to get get you tuned in to this one question? Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about the 170 or the 175 or the 180, thinking about Harvard, that's the perfect. Yeah. But the way you get there is by a whole lot of individual good. You know, you just sort of like do this one and it's an easy one. Yeah. You're not going to get a medal. You're not going to immediately get into Harvard if you get this one right. But you do need to get this one right in order to get your best score. So let's just talk about this one question right here. And it's so simple. People love to talk about big trends and plateaus and, you know patterns and global i'm not good at a certain type of question in logical reasoning you know do you have any tips for parallel reasoning and it's like well hold on a second let's just talk about one of them can you show me one of them if you give me one of them we can worry we can worry about that one Mm -hmm. let's get that one solid and then we can do another one agreed eventually you won't have that problem anymore but you can't it's just like like you can't really fix the big thing. You need to just worry about the tiny little individual pieces. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's awesome, Vicky. Thank you very much. I'm glad we inspired some new art for your home. Yeah. Maybe don't go to law school, Vicky. Maybe be an artist instead. The world needs more artists. Yep. Cool. Well, um, test 65, section four, question two. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. You want to read this first one? Sure. It says, syndicated political columnists often use their newspaper columns to try to persuade readers to vote a certain way. I think about that and I, you know, I'm always kind of like personalizing, right? So I read that and I go, yeah, well, that's exactly why I would never read a political column. Sure. I do not I don't care about someone's opinion. I don't want anybody trying to influence my 
thinking I know that the you know the columns are inherently political it's not really reporting it's not really news it's just somebody popping off with their team and I don't really want to hear anybody's team bullshit so okay so this makes total sense to me I get it but yes I syndicated political columnists in the real world as far as I understand definitely do this mm-hmm. okay however their efforts to persuade voters rarely succeed. Now that doesn't seem to me to be like necessarily r- true in real life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like people follow this stuff, right, all the time. I mean, there's so, also people that don't listen. I, to me, it seems fifty-fifty. Well, yeah, there's me who is completely impervious to this because I would never even read it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But then there's people in my family who are a thousand percent suckers for this stuff because that's just that's the first thing they do is open up the paper and go straight to their, you know, whatever columnist that's just going to try to mind control them. Okay. But this speaker says that this rarely succeeds and I'm okay. skeptical of that. So I'm like, well, hold, I mean, cause that's my job, right? Your job mm-hmm. is, your job is to disagree on the logical reasoning. Your job is to disagree. So when I read that and it doesn't really pass the smell test for me, then I'm like, okay, well, where's your evidence for that? What do you mean their efforts to persuade rarely succeed? And it says for, so for means because means I just said my conclusion and now I'm going to give evidence. So the conclusion of the argument is their efforts to persuade voters rarely succeed. And why do they think that? Well, they say, For by the time such a column appears, nearly all who will vote in the election will have already made a decision about which candidate to vote for. And I suppose I have to give them a little bit of like a hat tip on that, right? It's like, yeah, if I'm thinking about, you know, my family members, the same ones who immediately turn to the political columnist to read it. Mm -hmm. They have already decided. (laughs) They decided 30 years ago who they're voting for. Mm-hmm. So, okay, hey, you know, maybe you're right that this rarely succeeds. Because people already made up their mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which one of the following is an assumption required by the argument? That's a an assumption question. Assumption means missing piece, but it's specifically a necessary assumption question. So, Ben, you taught me how to do necessary assumption questions. Hmm. I used to always say, it's the one that if false ruins the argument. Yeah. Which is still true. And I still do say that a lot. Yeah. But I think that there's a cleaner way of thinking about it, which is, which this is what you taught me, which was just, it's the one the author has to agree with. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that they have necessarily thought about this, mm-hmm. but it's the one that if you were to show it to the author, Maybe they have thought about it or maybe they would go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, that has to be true. Yeah. Because if it's false, it ruins their argument. Anything else you want to add to all that? I'm, I'm kind of monologuing on this, but I didn't really No, I agree. I agree with all of it. And uh, yeah. Okay. Do you have any concerns about the original passage? Well, you know, I, I guess I, at the end there, I was kind of agreeing with them and Mm -hmm. my job is not to agree. 
Yeah. If I had to push back, I suppose I would say, well, hey, even if nearly all who will vote in the election will have already made a decision about which candidate to vote for, yeah, nearly all doesn't mean all. Mm-hmm. And it also could be that the people who have already decided aren't going to read the column. It could be that the care. people who are reading the column are the exceptions to this rule that nearly all have already made a decision. Yeah. And if that's the case, if it's all, if it's only, I mean, which I, it's not in real life, but if it were like only the undecided people, or if all of the undecided people were reading the column, then the political colonists attempt to persuade could still be successful. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you made me do that because if you find yourself agreeing, you're probably not in the right spot. You, you, you need to be thinking about what the other side would say. Lawyers are mercenary, or at least you have to be able to think like a mercenary, right? (laughs) You're a damn good lawyer. Well, guess what? The other side has an equally damn good lawyer. And so you have to be able to consider what they would say. If you don't consider the other side, you are going to lose. All right. By the way, tangent here, but thinking that speaking of lawyers, that just reminded me of the show I watched this weekend. I watched uh, the Jeffrey Epstein thing on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, but that sounds uh, creepy and cool. Is Trump in it? He is. So is Clinton and some other Prince Andrew. But anyways, Alan Dershowitz, you know, that Harvard lawyer. Yeah, he was involved um, in the OJ case, right? Wasn't he? He, he was. was. He mm-hmm. was part of their of OJ's dream defense team. And the dream team or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> was. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was. And he was interviewed quite a bit in this. Not, well, uh, not quite a bit, but more. I, I think he was one of the only defense attorneys interviewed. So he, he, he got in there a few times in part because he was Jeffrey Epstein's, one of his attorneys. That guy had like, you know, a whole slew of them. And they were all. If you're going to have a child prostitution ring, you probably want yeah. a lawyer up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got a lawyer up and, and, you know, he had a lot of money. So he had, he had a, a lot of good lawyers, or I should say talented. Maybe good's not the right word, but. Um, <laughs> Evil and talented. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. So anyways, they were, uh, but they interviewed him in part because he was his defense attorney, but also because he was accused of participating in this stuff. Uh, I'm not, I, who knows what actually happened. It's just a Netflix show. But in any case, uh, some of the things he said were, were, brought up concerns I have about the legal profession. You know, for example, he said that his job as an attorney is to, you know, fight for the rights of his client regardless of what other people think and so forth. And there's certainly a a big part of that that I agree with. But the thing that I've always struggled with that is where defense attorneys take their defense so far despite knowing like the shit that's going on. Like that's their job. See, I, that's where I feel like that's where the profession has gone too far. No, I mean, I agree. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that's the way it is. That's the way, well, that's the way it's, it gets, you know, bred into attorneys in starting in law school. Like, Hey, look, chill out, chill out. I mean, they, they, yeah, they make big deals about how everybody should have the right to a 
full vigorous defense or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And guess what? If you got lots of money and we have too many smart lawyers, then you're going to be able to hire somebody who will do absolutely anything to get you off. Mm-hmm. And that's why poor people get convicted more often than rich people. Yeah. I mean, I, one one word he used in the show, he said, I can't remember what it was, vigorously, and then he said ethically. And I was like, so in my mind, when you say ethically defend a, your client, you're doing everything that is their right, but when you're playing these games of like, trying to hide information or whatever like i don't know there's i don't when know you how know you know they say, did it yeah you're the attorney you know that they did it but you're like okay even though i know that what how can we get like what can we do let's the system yeah, you're gonna has do everything all these problems. you can do to prevent the prosecution from proving their case you're going to do everything you can do to try to put doubt in the minds of jurors mm-hmm. who are going to get your client off the hook even though you know they did it and you're mm-hmm. going to get paid an insane amount of money for that because that's, you know, most people are good. Most people don't want to be doing that. Most people don't want to be defending child sex trafficking. Yeah. But guess what? That's what the big firms, that's, they <laughs> definitely do that. <laughs> they defend corporations big that firms? destroy the environment and kill yeah. kids. And you know, like they, that's, 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 that's where the big money comes from is from people who essentially did it, you know, it's like mm-hmm. OJ did it and had and a bazillion dollars people. from playing in the NFL. And then mm-hmm. he's able to go out and hire all of the best, least ethical lawyers, basically. Yeah. And anyway. then those same lawyers will never <laughs> stop talking about ethics, right? They'll just yeah always be talking about how this is, you know, ju- we have to make sure that justice is, served here for our client our client has a constitutional right we're defending yeah. i'm defending my client's constitutional rights <laughs> to get off on a technicality when he's a you know murderer but yeah <laughs> anyway i couldn't do it i, I don't want to do it I, I don't even want to be i don't i would not want to be in the room you know i just i can't handle it yeah i'd probably be good at it if i wanted to like completely sell out mm-hmm I don't think I would want to be on the other side of that. Like, can you imagine being like a government prosecutor trying to fight the good fight against a billion dollar defense team? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Anything else you want to say about that uh, documentary? That sounds good. Was it like a series or a movie? No, it was very short. It was a series. I mean, it was like five episodes or something like that. Short series. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll yeah, check it out. Yeah, check it out. I also watched LA 92. That was good. LA 92. Oh, about the about Rodney King, right? Rodney King whole thing, yeah. Yeah, it was by Nat Geo. It was, it was really well done. Oh, cool. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, Anyways. which one of the following yeah. is an assumption required by this argument? Um, so which one of these does the author have to agree with? A says, syndicated columnists influence the votes of most of their readers who have not yet decided which candidate to vote for the author is trying to prove that these efforts to persuade rarely succeed. A seems pretty clearly on the opposite team. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even think about A any further because it seems like A weakens the argument. I'm looking for something that is on the same team. I'm looking for something that this 
author has to agree with. A seems like it's a bad fact for this author. I can't imagine the author having to agree with this. It's interesting. I think that some people might get tempted by A because they do like a almost like a false contrapositive with it or something. Oh. Right? Like syndicated columnists influence the votes of most of their readers who have not yet decided which candidate to vote for. And so people are like, oh, so if they have decided which candidate to vote for, um, oh, no, wait. Influence don't influence those who haven't decided. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, now I'm getting lost in my own words. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, students do read answer choices poorly. They they definitely yeah. misread the answer choices in a variety of different ways. Uh, but this one does seem to be pretty solidly on the side of the author. So, oh, sorry, on the opposite side of the author. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine that the author yeah. has to agree with A. B, yeah. the attempts of syndicated political columnists to persuade readers to vote a certain way in an election can instead cause them to vote in to vote a different way. Wow. Okay. Now that one's tricky because it is on the side of the author, right? Like that would strengthen the argument. The author's trying to say that these votes to persuade a certain way rarely succeed. Mm-hmm. B's like not only that, but it might cause people to vote the other way. Yeah. But the author doesn't have to agree with that. Necessary assumption questions are top down, evidence based. I'm looking for a conservative answer. I'm not looking for anything extra here. B is extra. Uh, So I cannot say that the author would have to agree that sometimes Mm. these efforts to persuade can have the opposite effect. C, people who regularly read columns by syndicated political columnists mainly read those works written by columnists with whom they already largely agree it's kind of on the same it's kind of on the author's team. I just don't have evidence that the author has to agree with that. You know, their point really isn't oh no, you're only reading the columns that you agree with. Their point was it you've already made up your mind about your candidate regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the columnist. Yeah, I can easily see this author showing up and going, "No, no, um people read a wide variety of political columns. I mean, that's of course not true for most people, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) this author doesn't necessarily have to believe that, right? The author could be like, no, people read columns from people that they don't agree with. The problem though, is that they've already made up their mind, so they're not going to be persuaded. Mm -hmm. D regular readers of columns by syndicated political columnists are less likely to be persuaded to vote a certain way by such columns than are people who seldom read such columns. That's a weird one, huh? What do you think about that? It's talking about regular readers um, are less likely to be persuaded. Yeah, than seldom readers. That's that's what makes me feel weird about it, is that all of a sudden now we're comparing, we're comparing regular readers yeah. to seldom mm-hmm. readers? Yeah. And I have to like stand up in court and say, yes, Your Honor, the author of this passage has to agree with that. It comes down to their frequency of reading. No, it doesn't. There's it's just no evidence. about readers. There's yeah. no evidence in the passage I, I, for that answer. I, I don't, I can't, I can't see myself picking that. E, people rarely can be persuaded to change their minds about which candidate to vote for once they have made a decision. <laughs> that's like <laughs> almost, I could see a lot of people saying, hey, that's repeating the passage. How can that be a right. necessary assumption? Exactly. Um, 
Sure, it feels like that, but it's actually repeating the the assumption that's made between the premise and the conclusion. So, it is never the case that an answer to a necessary assumption question is wrong because they already said it in the passage. Never, not once. Okay, if it seems like it's exactly what they said, then that's the answer. Your analysis needs to be. Don't don't be looking for a missing piece. Don't be like, oh, that can't be the answer to this assumption question because they said it. That's just not correct. On a necessary assumption question, we're looking for the one that the author must agree with. It turns out in most of these cases, just to clarify, it is a missing piece. People just feel like it was already said right. when it actually wasn't. It feels like they said it, but they didn't. But the yeah. point is, there are answers where it seems like the answer is just the conclusion of the argument. I mean, I've definitely seen that before where I'm like, hey, that's their conclusion. This is the answer to this necessary assumption question. And maybe it's like subtly different from the conclusion. Mm-hmm. But the point is the author has to agree with it. I mean, if it was literally the conclusion of the argument, the author has to agree with that. Because if it's false, then the argument fails. Yep. So I don't think I ever would have predicted E. It does seem really obvious, like hiding in plain sight. Mm -hmm. But think about the opposite of E. If people can frequently be persuaded to change their minds about which candidate to vote for once they have made a decision, like these decisions aren't final, then this argument completely fails. Because it's built on, well, they've already decided. Yep. So the author has to agree that people really can't be persuaded to change their minds once they've decided. Otherwise, the argument doesn't make any sense anymore. The author has to agree with E. That's why the answer is E. Yeah. Do you want to do one more or should we dive into this personal statement? I say we dive into the personal statement. Let me read this email from Mike and then you want to read the statement? Uh, Yep. That sounds perfect. Mike writes, Ben and Nathan, your guys' feedback on personal statements and LSAT preparation has been excellent. I appreciate it a lot. In 2018, I made my first run at law school. Six Six months with Kaplan brought me from a cold 149 to an official 158. Wow, that's not bad for Kaplan. Not bad. It's great. However, as I was hitting my stride, I made the professional decision to delay Scott... (laughs) as opposed to a personal decision, the professional decision to delay law school after being selected to return to West Point, my alma mater, and teach. After suffering a hip injury, a career transition is imminent. Okay. Now I'm getting back into LSAT prep. After two weeks of the demon and 30-some-odd thinking LSAT episodes, I feel ready to commit to more team demon. I signed up for the NYC event. Whoa. This is like an old email, I guess. Um, Okay, sorry that didn't work out. Became Demon Live, um, which is even more class and time than the NYC event was ever going to be. I attached a draft of my personal statement. I hope it makes sense, uh, makes the show. Other than the, the hope for personal statement feedback, a couple questions for you guys follows. Uh, one, other than crushing the LSAT, how do I shape my application packet to make up for a 2.4 GPA at West Point from 2012. 
I have a master's, a master of public administration from Villanova University, and in May 2020, will graduate with a master of education. Um, how do you say that? Kinesiology. Kinesiology. What is that? That's a movement. Movement mm-hmm. from the University of Virginia. I know law schools care much about more, much more about undergraduate GPA, though. What's your advice? High LSAT score. That's what we always say. Yeah, high LSAT score. 2.4 GPA is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. That's real bad for a law school applicant. Um, you'll need a high LSAT score to make up for that. And I would, you know, probably got to be realistic. I think the ship has sailed on most of the top 14. I mean, I can see in crazily extraordinary circumstances. It was West Point, you know, they like military folks. Yeah. So maybe there's some squeak in the back door with a 170 something LSAT score, you know, and you're a little older and whatever circumstances. But I I would say the odds are you're not going to the top 14, no matter what your LSAT score is. Yeah. But I, best LSAT I mean, score you can get, and you could still probably squeak into score uh, schools in the top 20, top 25. Yeah. I, I would guess. Based on my hip injury and time in service, I'll not only get law school for free, but I'll also get a decent paycheck throughout. How could I leverage this to help get into the best school possible? I'm focused on the re- regions Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Virginia, and D.C. <laughs> Lots of law schools in those states. Yeah. There's just there's seven in uh, the D.C. metro area alone. Um. How could you leverage this? Well, yeah, that strikes me that. as kind of weird. I mean, I guess if you told them though, like if you make it clear that you are going to be financed by Uncle Sam, mm-hmm. then they know that they don't have to offer you a promo code slash scholarship, which is really just a discount promo code. If they know they don't have to give you a promo code, then I, I can see that being a point in your favor. Yeah. But I mean, the bigger win is just, Hey, yeah, that's awesome. You don't have to pay for law school and you're going to get a paycheck while you're there. So great. I mean, I don't, I don't know that you can really leverage that though into getting into better schools. That doesn't, it's just great that you have that. (laughs) It means that I'm less likely to try to talk you out of law school now. Yeah. Number three, regarding my personal statement, I tried to follow most of your guys' advice on stating facts, letting them know I crushed it during my professional career, and sprinkled in some personal things such as my values. Hmm. <laughs> That's not I, our advice. <laughs> yeah. And how I see them aiding my legal career. Ooh, that sounds like Yeah, you, you probably don't have any standing to say that, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm a hard worker and I think that's going to help. Well, or like I, this will help me with it to be, you know, an attorney, blah, blah, blah. And they're just like, you don't know that you've never, you're not a lawyer. You've never practiced law. You have no, you just don't, you're not, you're not, you don't have authority to say that. So. Yeah. Um, is it, is too much resume stuff though? Is too much resume stuff? Are, are you including, I don't know. We'll find out. Is the ending too touchy feely? Okay, Probably. Yeah, sounds like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what do you think about the transition paragraph where I introduce my hip injury? 
touch on my brief experience at law school. Oh, don't do that. Um, and move into how I think the career pivot during law school will be engaging and fun. Uh, okay, well, we'll talk about it as we go through it. Um, I don't says, think Thank the hip you. injury, I, I can't imagine. Well, we'll have to see. But I yeah. mean, I can make some predictions. Hip injury, not a selling point. No. Don't care. Just, I mean, whatever. I feel bad for you. That sucks. Injuries suck. Everybody, yeah. But that's not a reason why you're going to make a good lawyer. You have to overcome these challenges, but sometimes you have to, That that's it. That's par for the course. It's not itself a selling point. Here you go. Good luck, Nathan. Okay, here we go. First thing I notice is that it's not double spaced. It's not, uh, it's not double spaced needs to be okay. double spaced. This has sure. single spaced paragraphs. So this document when you submit it does need to be double spaced. Yep. Um and it is pretty long. I think by the time you double space this it's going to be well over 2 pages. Most people need a personal statement that's less than 2 pages. Um okay, here we go. Serving as a commissioned officer in the United States Army for the last 9 years has been a special privilege for me. Okay. The subject is serving as a commissioned officer in the United States Army for the last nine years. Whew. Aside from the fact that it's a very long subject, it's the subject itself is an action. It's serving. Yeah, you need the just generally speaking, think about most of your sentences probably should say I it's just cleaner. Yeah. I hate the has been a, I mean, cause that's the verb here is has mm-hmm. been. Yeah. Which is a form of the verb to be is, was, were, has been. Every time you're using that verb, you're missing an opportunity to use a more active verb. So this is just passive writing right off the bat here. And when it's passive, it's, almost always telling. So instead of I created or I led or I wrote or I, you know, just anything that you actually did, you're now forcing this conclusion on me that it has been a special privilege, which what the fuck does that even mean? Frankly, (laughs) we don't know. You know, it's basically like this. That's basically a resume line. What do you mean by that? I wouldn't even say it in a resume. Well, no, I mean, United States Army. Oh, yeah, sure. 2013 to 2020, commissioned officer. Mm -hmm. Right? You don't need to tell me that it was a special privilege. It's a thing you did. I don't need the Mm -hmm. editorialization. I need to know what you did. But that is already on your resume for sure. So I'm not actually learning anything I didn't already know from your resume. So I think we just cut that sentence entirely. I don't see anything there. Yep. No I, to be a verb, no action. Telling. Telling, just, yep, unnecessary. Okay. Okay. I received a congressional nomination and appointment to West Point in 2007. That's a long time ago. And since commissioning as a field artillery officer in 2012, my professional why 
has been taking care of soldiers. Have you ever heard anyone say that? My professional why? W-H-Y. My professional why has been taking care of soldiers. That's either um, a turn of phrase that is so uncommon as to look like an error, or it's actually an error, and it's in your second sentence. And I got to be honest, if I'm, you know, what's a top 20 law school? If I'm the University of Tennessee, Mm -hmm. and I look at your 2.4, and I see what looks like a typo in the second sentence, you're done. That's just game over. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like, nope, too sloppy to be a lawyer. Bye. Bye. Um, got some weird capitalization going on there on congressional nomination. Yep. And especially and soldiers. on soldiers. That one really doesn't need to be capitalized. You're getting Trumpian with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, randomly capitalizing words <laughs> used to be bad, <laughs> but now it's really, really bad. Because it looks, because that's how Trump writes. Yeah. Sad. So what's going on in this sentence? You're telling me that you were appointed to West Point in 2007, which is one, a long time ago, two, already on your resume. Commissioning as a field artillery officer in 2012, long time ago, already on your resume. My professional why has been taking care of soldiers. I do think that he's saying that intentionally. Just don't say that because that's a phrase that not enough people are familiar with. Well, it's like your purpose, my professional purpose is to take care of soldiers. But again, that's like telling it's your motivation as opposed to your actual action. It's some weird touchy-feely way of talking. Yep, all this needs to go. Weird corporate speak. Yeah. Say what you do. Like, t- tell me about, tell me one instance of you taking care of a soldier. That that would be so much better. It just, I would get a vivid picture of you in action. Mm-hmm. Not my professional why has been taking care of soldiers. I have no idea what that means. You could be at a desk, or you could be in fucking Afghanistan, and I have no idea. Okay. My military responsibilities have been. Notice that, Ben? Yep, another to be a verb. It's the two you're using to be. You're re- you're leaning on one verb in the English language, which is the verb to be. You're leaning on it much too heavily. My military responsibilities have been to plan, coordinate and deliver indirect fires from cannon, rocket and aircraft to enable infantry units on the ground to conduct their missions safely. So what you're telling me is you plan, coordinate, and fire mm-hmm. these guns. Deliver indirect fires. Yeah. Just say what you do. You plan, coordinate, and fire. This weird <sighs> corporate, it's like corporate military speak. Mm-hmm. Maybe and they do this to... Uh, <laughs> deflect what they're actually doing that could be that could be yeah when you're like, we deliver ammunition <laughs> to the enemy yeah. at a high rate through of their face <laughs> a, yeah. <laughs> i coordinate delivery of a bomb 
to the inf- to the <laughs> barracks of the <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and then that's so funny. Like on on to enable infantry units on the ground to conduct their missions safely. Also, to make sure that the infantry <laughs> units of the enemy do not conduct their missions safely. <laughs> safely, yeah, yeah. So they do, they die, and we don't. Yeah, we get it. You shoot guns. We get it. In 2015, I led 30 soldiers to complete this mission. What mission? During combat operations in Afghanistan, where we fired over 1,500 cannon rounds and coordinated with over, got to stop doing that, over 500 attack helicopter fire missions. (sighs) Our success during deployment led me to being selected for the next assignment. I like the action there. I mean, hey, you're leading 30 soldiers on the ground in Afghanistan. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit more. I feel like I feel like he's trying to put like too much into one sentence. Plan, coordinate, deliver indirect fires from cannon, rocket, and aircraft. It's like, ah, I can't even digest it. The sentences are too long. You're throwing in too many things at once. I don't like over 1,500 cannon rounds and over 500 attack helicopter fire missions. Yeah. Like round numbers are fine. We get it. It's an estimate. And I don't even know if you, I don't, well, I don't know if you need them. I think you need the 30 soldiers. That's interesting. I'm much more interested in you leading the 30 soldiers because that's a yeah. thing that lawyers do. Lawyers don't fire cannon rounds or anything with attack helicopters. So like, I mean, coordinating missions. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Late. You you know, let's focus on the leading soldiers, planning missions, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I would really shy away from the 1500 cannon rounds. The more I think about it, your reader, many, many of your readers don't like guns. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. can't you imagine somebody in the admissions office, educated, very likely liberal, progressive, Mm -hmm. and now this comes off as, like, bragging about how many guns you fired, how many shots you fired? Yeah. I can just see that person in the office being like, oh, yee. Mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, it's just, it's like a, they're swiping left just on guns. I'm not, and despite the action, I'm still actually not clear, like, what's happening, right? Like, soldiers are going where? They're, what was the mission that you were trying to accomplish? How were how you I, I think they're firing cannons in support of infantry. So yeah. I think that these cannon rounds are like big guns. Yep. So they're shooting big guns in support of infantry on the ground. But he says he led these soldiers, so I'm still unclear. Like, are well, maybe you on the, the people on the cannons. Them? I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's the people on the cannons and the people supporting the helicopters that are going to go fire the guns on the helicopters. This sounds like because I mean it says artillery, right? Field artillery officer. So this person is kind of behind the front lines. It sounds like firing mm-hmm. the big guns. Wow. Which, yeah, wow. But I mean, I would, you got to emphasize the leadership shit, not the guns. Yeah. Our success during deployment led to me being selected for the next assignment. 
That next assignment sounds mundane. Like, well, oh. you could also just get right into the next assignment. Yep. If you're going to tell me about the next assignment, it's like too much introduction, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's the first paragraph. Um, okay. Although only a lieutenant with capitalized on lieutenant, I can't imagine that that's right. I served as one of five, and this is using numerals for one and five, which for single digits needs to be spell out the whole word, right? Yeah, you spell everything up to 10, and then 11 and above, you use numbers. The exception to that is when you use like 7 in a sentence and 12 in a sentence, you may decide to use numbers both times or words both times just for like ease of... Yeah, but this is just one of five, so it does need to be Mm O-N-E. Yep. And F-I-V-E. Okay, and captains, again, is capitalized, which doesn't... We don't want capitals on those, I don't think. Not unless you're talking about... Captain America, then definitely capitalize <laughs> yeah, the titles. whole fucking thing on Captain America. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my unit thrived during our, again, capitalized brigades, which shouldn't be capitalized, culminating event. Space M dash space. Don't do that. No spaces around M dashes. I do like M dashes, but don't put spaces around them. It's not even an M dash, right? Really. Oh, and it's, it's a like weird a mini dash. It's, it's like not an M even dash. a normal dash or an M dash. It's yeah. the weird in between one. That's the type of shit that lawyers obsess <laughs> about, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to break it to you, but this is the field you're getting yourself into. Yeah. My unit thrived during our braids, brigade's culminating event, a pre deployment. 30-day field exercise certification that resulted in a third-party observer rating us the top fires unit. At the end-of-year evaluation, the captains and my senior raider ranked me number one of the five in our roles. I feel like this is all like resume stuff. It's great that you were recognized. It should be on your resume, or at least some of this. But I, I, I don't like it in a personal statement. It it's just not comes personal. across. It doesn't it comes across as bragging. Yeah, it's not personal. It doesn't tell me what you actually do. No, it's like okay, got it. You won some award. I can read that in a line item on your resume. Yeah, cut that paragraph. I utilized. Oh. <laughs> I've trained Ben now to hate utilized. Once you notice utilized, it's the worst. You can always say used. You never, ever, ever say utilized, please. I utilized the training while later serving as an observer coach trainer for a NATO 15-day live fire exercise in Lithuania. You know, this field exercise certification and this Mm. live fire exercise yeah. No civilian has any idea what the fuck you're talking about. No. Nope. It's too jargony, and we just don't even know what this means. This is, you know, that's crazy because the military is so big, and he's been in the military for so long that he talks to people who understand what this means. But, like, not one person at law school is going to have any idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Lithuania, we got. <laughs> but field exercise certification and live fire exercise... We don't know what you're talking about. 
As only one of, sorry, as one of only a few American officers on the ground, international leaders sought my experience. I advised military leaders from six nations on planning and integrating indirect fires across the battlefield. Oh man, this this all make all basically all this has to go. I think this resulted in a multinational coordinated live fire in a strategic regional alliance, and fostered mutual respect among nations. Not Whoa. the ones we were shooting at, <laughs> but definitely the good guys. It fostered mutual respect among the. Wait, good wait, guys. hold up! Resulted in a multinational coordinated live fire. Yeah, I think that means bombing, Ben. I think what that means is we we got together and we all shot our guns together. Is this wait, but hold up. Is this an exercise? No, it's a live fire exercise. Yeah, but uh, So are they practicing with real bullets? Is that what's going on here? Oh, the way I read it, it was they were actually bombing people. <laughs> We're lost, Mike. This is the problem. You're probably like rolling your eyes like these idiots, but we don't know you, what you're talking about. You got to stop talking <laughs> about shooting guns off, Mike. I'm sorry, but like they're you're you got like literally half of your audience is like already out. Like they're just like, nope, stop talking about guns. You're not going to impress me with anything about guns. You got to stop it. Yeah. Oh man. That's not even me personally. Like my my family like has guns and stuff. Like I'm from the country, you know. I but I like you're just not going to impress the liberal academics at your law school of choice by talking about guns and particularly when you mention that you are fostering mutual respect among nations through all this. You got way too many good liberals who are reading this who are like, their just political philosophy is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. But they're just not going to believe that you are fostering mutual respect among nations. By it's pretty with, grandiose, too. Like, it is. Oh, I, I consulted some people and then we did some right. live fire exercises, whatever that means. Like, well, dude, why do you even need to go to law school? You're already. <laughs> bringing the nations together <laughs> <laughs> what what more could you possibly do yeah hmm. however i knew i needed to develop knowledge and skills outside of the combat arms profession too talking about your mental state now the reader really doesn't want to hear you talk about what you know or what you think or what you feel they want to talk about what you did, maybe what you plan to do. But I knew I needed to develop knowledge and skills outside of the combat arms profession. All that means is you're looking to change careers. Like you want to go to law school, which we already know yeah. about you. Yeah. While still active duty, I completed a master of public administration from Villanova University online with a 3.95 GPA. Your GPA is on your transcript. Your GPA is on your resume. I don't think you need to be talking about your master's GPA in your personal statement. I expounded on knowledge from this degree. 
by seeking out a company com- command outside the traditional field artillery career path where I could learn effective city management from the garrison commander. I have no idea what's going on. I do not know what you're talking about, Mike. <laughs> also, I don't think you use expounded correctly there. Leveraged? Right. Not expound. Ex- expounded, expounded is like, like teaching. <laughs> going off, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Nathan Fox does a lot of expounding. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. I don't think you expounded on your, yeah. If you expounded on knowledge from your degree, that means you like got a soapbox and started talking about it, not went and got a job and started learning effective city management. Maybe you wanted to expand your knowledge from this degree. I don't know, but I don't I'm, I'm still confused too. Like company command. And then this whole Garrison commander, like who's garrison and where's this? There's so much military jargon going on in here. It's brutal. This is my kids are talking to me. Sorry. No worries. No worries. (laughs) You're you're using so much military jargon that like no civilian is going to have any idea what you're talking about. Okay. For two years, I led a headquarters company of eighty soldiers. We were responsible for the 8,000 soldiers who in-processed Fort Carson annually. Wow. Mike, you really, really have to get a total civilian to completely edit this entire thing. Because in-processed Fort Carson? I'm sure that's shit that they just say in the military all the time, but that is not anything that civilians say. Nope. And I really don't know what you're talking about. I I just don't... (laughs) You're... It's all too, it's too broad. It is. Yeah. Right. You're throwing around all these numbers and all these titles and all, but you're not saying like, it's not human. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you led these 80 soldiers? You led them doing what? Yeah. Like show me one example of you leading one soldier to do one thing. Then I'd have an idea. Cause like, that's the thing is that the personal statement needs to bring the resume to life. All this is, is rehashing. This is like a a prose version of your resume. Mm -hmm. You'd see these lines. You'd see these bullet points in a resume. Yeah. Led headquarters company of 80 soldiers. Yeah. Responsible Responsible for for 80 soldiers who you don't want to say in process because nobody knows (laughs) what that means, but you want to, you know, that, yeah, this is, these are all resume bullets put into paragraph form. It's weird. Yeah. Um, Our operation included collaboration with departments of finance, human resources, civil engineers, military law, and medical readiness to name a few. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We can make a Um, list of, we should be accumulating a list of all of the phrases that are not allowed to ever be in your personal statement or any of your writing ever. Yeah. To name a few. You just named a few. You don't need to say to name <laughs> a few. Are, <laughs> to name a few is one of the few. Mm-hmm. I conceptualized, resourced, and brought to fruition a computer lab for all digital in processing, which reduced work hours by 60. <laughs> 
60 what? For who? <laughs> and paper usage by 20,000 pages every month. Okay, you know what? Those are good achievements. You created a new system. Yeah. You could blow up literally everything you've written so far and just and tell just me talk about, about how you created this new system. That would be great. But don't say conceptualized, resourced. No. Yeah, just what's going on? What you this did. is verbifying. You're verbifying nouns. You could mm-hmm. have picked better words than conceptualized and resourced. It's like you're trying too hard. It's military corporate jargon bullshit is what it is. Yeah. You, you Look, you start your personal statement like, um, when I was X at this place, we had a backlog. I don't know. Like, What prompted you to conceptualize this, right? You conceptualized it because you were running into some sort of problem. Uh, right. Your paper usage was uh, sky high. Um, your work hours were high. Like, But even, even when those things are big, uh, when people work a lot of hours, they don't necessarily come up with solutions to problems. Maybe there was some pressure point. What was that? What, what happened that led to people saying, look, we got to do this better? And you're like, you know what? Here's how I'm going to say we do it better. And you did it. I mean, I'm actually a little skeptical of this. No offense. Like, what did you do? If you really came up with all this, this right here is a personal statement. Yeah, you could just tell me a lot more about that. I mean, because conceptualized means, I think, means that you came up with the idea, maybe sketched out, like, roughly, here's how it would work. Resourced could be the most interesting part of all of this. If resourced means you went and found the resources to actually make it happen, like you went out and convinced somebody to give you budget to let you do this project, Mm -hmm. that's some lawyer shit. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. And brought to fruition means you managed the project, like you were working with people. You you didn't program any of this yourself, right? So you worked with developers to make this actually happen. Mm-hmm. Let's hear about all that stuff. That's, yeah. uh, that's there's, there's there's definitely stuff that could be used here. This database also synchronized with division for receiving their new soldiers. I don't know what division is. The division. Yeah, a first, <laughs> a first of its kind across the army. That may be your worst sentence yet. Um, I don't think a first of its kind is a pro- is used appropriately there. I don't think that M dash and the a first of its kind. I think that's broken somehow. I'm not sure exactly yeah. why. I guess the database is a first of its kind, but like to me, that sounds like unlikely. <laughs> What the, the army doesn't have databases synchronized with other stuff? Yeah, the like, entire on, they, actual U.S. fucking army. Didn't the military come up with the internet? I mean, I, <laughs> right. So you got to be careful about overselling. Yeah, a little grandiose on the conclusion there, probably. After command, I was fortunate, which I don't. Again, we don't know what that means. What do you mean after command? <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. This is tough. Sorry. After command, I was fortunate. We don't stop saying this is a thing. It's really common that people do this. I was blessed to do this, and I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. Just cut out all that stuff. Say what yeah. you did. I was fortunate to earn my most recent assignment. Cut that whole sentence. What? Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you do. The United States Military Academy selected me to teach in the Department of Physical Education. 
As part of qualifying to teach, I earned a Master of Education in Kinesiology at the University of Virginia. This is all on your resume. Yep. While in graduate school at UVA, I audited criminal investigation at the law school. I don't care about individual classes that you took. Classes yeah. is unimpressive. Anyone can sign up for a class. And I can tell you right now that this is going to come off as a naive reason to go to law school. <laughs> I loved the casebook. I found humor sprinkled into decisive argumentation. A class filled with intellectual curiosity coupled with a brilliant professor was the highlight of my year at UVA. Okay, you really love this class. Uh, law school is going to be different. This is one class. It's not necessarily even a law class. Criminal investigation? Oh, oh, sorry. You audited criminal investigation at the law school. My bad. It is at actual UVA law. But is it like a representative class? Criminal no. investigation? That sounds like CSI. Nope. <laughs> right. What that is is probably one of their like fun classes. It's a that's clearly an elective, right? That's a two L or three L elective. It's a bullshit yeah. class. It has nothing taught to do by with some the bar adjunct. exam. Yeah, it's taught by an adjunct who probably actually is one of their good teachers, as yeah. opposed to the research professors who tend to be terrible teachers. You know, and you read a you read a, a dissent by Scalia, and you and it was funny. Because he he was a funny motherfucker. That's true. Yeah. And you liked that. But that ain't what law is, really. <clears throat> it has been my dream job to return to West Point to mentor cadets and to give back to my alma mater and former D1 wrestling team. <laughs> Where does that come from? <laughs> wow, you were a wrestler. Okay, cool. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a strange twist. You're th- it's like you're trying to throw in there, oh, yeah, by the way, I was a, kind of a badass wrestler. <laughs> My D1. Former D1. I was D1. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also that's so long ago. So now, so you're like bragging about the fact that you were a D1 wrestler in, hold on a second. You were appointed to West Point in 2007. So you're bragging about your D1 wrestling career that was 13 years ago. I don't know. I just, it, there's, it's kind of all over the place. I don't, I just don't, you got to pick a topic. Teaching Army fitness development while offering anecdotes of military leadership experiences to ins- to aspiring cadets has been rewarding. <laughs> Again, it's just <laughs> telling telling us what you feel. It just falls so flat. Also, I think a sensible reader is going to be like, "Yeah, why don't you keep doing that? You just said it was your dream job." Yeah, like you look like a physical education teacher. You have yeah. this long military career. You were literally a D1 wrestler. You're now teaching physical education to West Point cadets. It's your dream job, and it's been rewarding. I think every reader is like, good, stick with that. What What do you need to become an attorney for? Exactly. If you want to return there to mentor cadets, you want to do that as an attorney? No one's going to give a shit. 
Well, he's saying he already has his dream job. He already is, which is, so that's another, like, it's just bad writing because it has been uh, my dream yeah. job. What he means is I have my dream job. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Oh, and this is where the hip injury comes in. Okay, got it, yeah. This you shouldn't put in at all. Un oh, I see. I see what happens here. Okay. Unfortunately, I suffered a non-combat related injury. After two hip surgeries, I became medically unqualified to serve. So you're you're getting fired from your dream job. Not fired. You you get but if you're medically unqualified to serve, the army doesn't fuck around with that that type of shit. So they're just like, "Well, sorry. You're done." It's kind of the same as being fired. I mean, realistically, right? It's like delivering ammo or firing, shooting at someone. You're gone. They're letting yeah, you go however they want to put yeah, it. Yeah, I guess. And it is weirdly, it's like, I think the reader, even if the reader, even if, even if it's wrong, I think the reader might naturally be like, well, wait a second. Why can't you still teach physical education with, with a hip injury? Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, you're not going to actually be doing any wrestling, right? You're going to be yelling at the cadets to do wrestling. Not only will my time teaching at West Point be cut short, but my military career will also end. A career transition has become inevitable, but that doesn't mean that a transition to law is inevitable. Yeah. And your reader is just going to be like, why don't you pick literally anything else? You haven't given me any evidence whatsoever other than what? One oh, sorry. You did take one class, which was an <laughs> upper level elective that CSI. you found fun. <laughs> <laughs> you took CSI 101 <laughs> for two credits, audited. You know, you weren't even taking it for two credits. You were just auditing it. <laughs> and you thought the casebook was cool. That's just not a good reason. That's not that's not a compelling reason. It's a reason, but it's weak. I have enjoyed my first career in the military. Again, we don't want to hear you talking about what you have enjoyed or what you have been blessed to whatever. I have enjoyed my first career in the military mostly because I loved being a part of a greater than self values driven profession. It's just like Ben's praying to the heavens right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why? He's looking to the skies for some help. Mm. Uh, um, I'm eager to apply my professional experiences at the intersection of our laws and leadership. Ugh, I hate these kind of sentences. You're not alone, Mike. People do this all the time. The intersection of global commerce and I don't know, whatever. People like to say this shit, but it doesn't mean anything. It means literally nothing. Like you're gonna go? Are you gonna go find an intersection somewhere and be? Oh, I'm here. I'm at the intersection of laws and leadership. This is this is one of the this is one of the problems with the English language and language in general is that it allows us to say shit that doesn't mean anything. It literally, does not mean anything. I so, appreciate your time and consideration. <laughs> Don't need to put that in there. I don't like the, bra you know, the, you're like bragging about the glory of the U.S. No, armed forces with the greater than self values driven profession. And you're not, you're like definitely not tuned in to who your reader actually is. Don't you think that's tone deaf on like, he's not, he doesn't know who these people are that are actually going to be reading his, this, this statement. 
The people yeah. who work in admissions offices are lots of them are people who got JDs and then just didn't practice law. Mm-hmm. Lots of them are uh, maybe law professors at the school or administrators at the school. But you giving like some rah rah stuff about the U.S. Army is just probably not going to connect with that audience very well. And it's telling anyway, right? It's just mm. it's it's just a conclusion. Yeah. And it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the army. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you think he goes from here with this? I think he takes the um, one thing that we talked about the conceptualized, resourced, and brought to fruition, blah, 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 computer lab. He takes that one sentence and he unpacks that into a one-page personal statement. Love to see what that would look like. I'm kind of interested in the teaching career. Mm -hmm. It's the most recent thing he's been doing, and he speaks about it in a way that makes me, you know, it's it's like he really enjoyed doing this work of a teacher. Yeah. Which makes me think that maybe there could be something there that he could talk about, you know, his career working his, his, his last few years working with the cadets and what he's actually done to help these cadets. And then, you know, maybe come up with some way to spin that into like, okay, and now I want to transition into a career as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I don't think bringing up the hip injury helps at all. It normally, when people start talking about medical problems, you just make yourself look like a problem. It's just kind of not the, t- it's, it, we're supposed to be here to learn about you kicking ass yeah, and, and, and being inevitably destined for success. And the second you start talking about injuries or illnesses or whatever, it's just like, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> we don't want to be reading anything in your personal statement and reacting to it with like, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, you literally use the word unfortunately in your own personal statement. You're supposed yeah. to be putting your best foot forward. Right. It's like you're trying to sell someone a car and you're like, well, unfortunately, (laughs) you know, like, don't do that. That's not your, tell me about the good features and benefits. Not don't tell me about the bad stuff. Unfortunately, I I got an accident. So I've decided to sell my car. Person's like, Oh, I want that car. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well, I think there's some stuff here, Mike. I, I just you're yeah, you're just like kind of talking too high level, uh, too much jargon, and need to focus on anything a specific incident. Needs to focus. Yeah, needs to focus on anything. Yeah. So yes, this project with the database could be great. You could talk about your leadership experiences. That could be great. You could talk about your teaching experiences. That could be great. But you got to get it down. You got to get it more granular for sure. Because I'm not, I'm like, who is Mike? Where's yeah. Mike? Where's Mike in this? Yeah. I feel like I'm learning more about the army than I am about Mike. Yeah. Do you think he should even keep that deal about auditing criminal investigation at the law school? No, absolutely that, not. That seems I think it has the exact opposite of its intended effect. You, it's it's like when you say, someone like imagine you talking to a law school admissions counselor or uh, uh, official or something, and and they say, 
Um, so you know what you're getting into, right? And you, you smile and you say, yeah. And then, and then you move on. It would be better to move on than for you to say, yeah, um, last year I took a criminal investigation class and I really enjoyed the case law. And they're like, wait, well, huh, huh? wait, what? <laughs> like this 95%, is how you know what you're getting. <laughs> like 95% of schools are like criminal investigation. Yeah. We don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Wait, this was at the law. This was at the law school. And criminal, yeah. That's it's why confusing. you're applying. That's why. What? You're, huh? Or at, I mean, you know, best case, they're like, oh yeah, we have that elective. It's kind of a joke, of course, because like all of our electives are, but. Yeah. There are some times when it's better to say nothing at all. And think about who you're talking to. You're talking about some, you're talking to someone who knows a lot of shit about this field. So you don't want to be talking about the field. And the only time people do talk about the field is when they are a paralegal and they're talking about their experience. They're not talking about the field. So start over and make yourself look like a successful military leader, maybe leader slash teacher. Talk about specific achievements. Take out all the real big picture, high level stuff. And you got to focus on a, on an anecdote or two. All of this, like, with the 30 day field exercise or certification and the third party observer and all this bullshit that can all go on your resume. You can have all those line items on your resume for sure. But when, when you're telling me a story, you got to tell me a story instead of just listing off a million bullet points. Okay. Want to wrap it up there? Yeah. Thanks Mike for sending that in. Definitely. Thank you. You can uh, join the thinking else podcast group on Facebook you can also follow us on Instagram at ThinkingLSAT. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at NFox. Uh, our live classes, our live online LSAT classes are at LSATdemon.com. You can also do recorded classes and just the app if you want. Um, check it out. There's where you can find our personal explanations. Our I'm, I'm enjoying our teaching explanations. our professional explanations. <laughs> I'm enjoying teaching LSAT more than I ever have before. The live classes on Zoom are awesome. So yeah. if you're looking for a live LSAT class, I really hope you will take my live LSAT class, our live LSAT class on Zoom through the LSAT team in live. By the way, it's a ridiculous bargain. It is. Kaplan costs $1,800. $1,800? That's what that email yesterday from Matt said. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> We're charging. Well, I know they keep going up. I don't. I, wow! I didn't realize it's that high. The Demon Live <laughs> costs two hundred ninety-five dollars a month. No commitment, just one month at a time, and it gets you classes seven days a week. Which there's no way Kaplan does. That's six months of class every day <laughs> of the week. And they're good classes that are fun and helpful instead of Kaplan's boring bullshit. I think <laughs> so Kaplan's please. classes are only like, there's only like 10 sessions or something. I, I, I don't know. You, you guys can check it out yourself, but I guarantee you it is not as much. Well, they do that so that they can offer the crazy, they go, they offer the crazy coupons, you know, like we'll give you $800 off. And it's like, yeah, okay, but it still costs a thousand and it still sucks. So yeah. <laughs> giving me $800 off of something shitty that's still overpriced is not good. Oh, you know what stuck out to me in that email that Matt sent us? Um, the one 
uh, sorry, I'm just going to call them out on this. Princeton Review, they have the, you'll, they'll give you $300 off if you sign up in the next 10 minutes or something like that. <laughs> when I hear shit like that, I'm like, oh, like, I know. Just, that feels like, you know, you're at the car sales lot. And I'm like, glad oh, we have hey, avoided. This car is probably going to get sold, so you know. But you walk away. We can't guarantee that exactly. Deal. And then they continually have those same deals. Yeah. I'm glad we have avoided <laughs> that type of cynical, greedy nonsense. Like just the it's at least we're honest. You we know? might be greedy, but we're still honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like yeah, we do. Hey, we we charge for what we do. It's true. We work hard at it. But. No, people people have been asking me for discounts for years, you know, and I always feel the same thing. It's just like it's just it's priced at a good price. Like you know, I feel like when you start doing discounts for people who are in pre-law yeah. or whatever, it just gets all weird and it's like, okay. I I said to you Ben a long time ago that I kind of had a vision of being I, I would like to be the Costco of mm. Of Elsa, one thing I love about Costco is that they keep their prices at a level where you know you're not getting screwed at Costco. Hmm. They have just as high quality, right? They have all the best shit. You can get the best things at Costco for sure. Mm-hmm. But they try to charge fair prices. It's like you know you're you know you're going to spend a lot of money when you go to Costco, yeah, because you know they have good shit and you know you're mm-hmm. going to buy a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But you also don't have to worry that you're getting ripped off at Costco. Yeah. And that's kind of the that's kind of the plan is to charge prices that we think are fair that provide like a good value, mm-hmm. and then that's because that's one thing that Costco doesn't do is like constantly have all kinds of sales and discounts and where you're you know like JC where it's like yeah. you'd be stupid to ever pay full price there because yeah. they constantly have white sales and Fourth of July sales and mm-hmm. every other possible type of sale so that you have to constantly be like trying to game it to not overpay. Yeah. It seems like that's what all the big competitors are out there trying to do. So I'm glad we I'm glad we so far have avoided most of that. <laughs> Two years from now we'll be like swimming in that and be like, ho ho ho. <laughs> this <laughs> is how to really make the real sell money. out and decide that, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um sorry. LSATdemon.com. Yeah, yeah, go to LSATdemon.com if you're so inclined to still listen to us. And for the podcast, that's thinkinglset.com. You can always email the show at help at thinkinglset.com and we'll try to get to your questions. That was episode 250. Holy shit. Of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Anymore.